A few weeks ago, uh, I, I suggested a very simple uh, church growth formula. You open the front door, and as a church, we do that through inviting our friends and our neighbors to come and participate with us. We open the front door by reaching out uh, to our community. We open the front door by serving our community. But we may welcome a lot of people in, and if our back door is open, no growth can occur. And so it's also uh, equally important to close that back door. And the way we close that back door is through an emphasis upon discipleship, upon membership, uh, the importance of, of being together, uh, the importance of spending time uh, with one another. Larry Osborne, uh, who is a minister for a church in California, he says this, our churches need to be stickier. That comes from a book he wrote that he titled Sticky Church. And so uh, his church... Uh, not only emphasizes opening that front door, but equally important, emphasizes closing that back door. And so the purpose of this book is dis uh, discusses how churches uh, might do that. As you know, uh, we are uh, studying uh, this fall the book of Acts. And two of the secondary sources that I have been uh, using in prepar uh, preparing sermons and uh, Bible class lessons and uh, reflecting upon Luke's message in Acts are, are two volumes uh, written by Craig Keener and William Williman. And they discuss this, this idea of closing the back door. So let me read a couple of things uh, from what they say. Keener first. Modern movements have noted that conversions without integration into the life of a community are sometimes difficult to sustain. Ancient movements were no different in this regard. Now, Willimon, and his is a little longer, basically a paragraph. Here's what he says. Contemporary religious life is plagued by momentary enthusiasm, periodic outburst, and superficiality. In fact, in contemporary parlance, enthusiastic is a virtual synonym for a short-term high that does not take root in long-term co term commitment. So we become suspicious of religious emotion suspecting that all this charismatic fuss and bother will amount to little. The claim that they were added that day about 3,000 souls moves us little, even though Luke intends to impress. We have seen these revivals come and go, but Luke will not leave us there Instead, he shows an immediate embodiment of the Pentecost enthusiasm. You will be my witnesses is our theme for this particular series of sermons. 
We began in Acts chapter 1, and we particularly emphasized verse 8, where Jesus tells the apostles immediately, immediately before ascending back to the, to the Father that you will be my witnesses, first of all in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to all parts of the world. And so the rest of chapter 1, the 12 apostles, after Matthias is added, and about 120 believers are waiting for Pentecost, where Jesus has promised the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so the day of Pentecost finally arrives and Peter uh, gets before this great throng of people and proclaims Jesus as the promised Messiah and as the risen Lord. And 3,000 souls are baptized on that particular day. And so even though some of those converts may have left Jerusalem and returned to their native land, this little group of about 120 or so now is a megachurch. And so what are they going to do to keep their back door closed? What, what are they going to do to ensure a continuing discipleship process? How did they become a sticky church? Well, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And I think I mentioned last week, in kind of introducing uh, this particular text, I have probably spent more time in this text than any other text in my uh, private study, as well as preaching and, and teaching from the book of Acts. I believe this particular text really sets the agenda, not only for the first century church, but the 21st century church. And so this morning, I want us to, to really look in uh, to this text with the goal of closing the back door. And you're going to see a number of themes from this particular text that we discussed all summer long. Things like life groups and Bible class and this discipleship process of, of what it means to be a disciple, uh, being a worshiper, being a student, being a friend, and being a servant. So I want us to, to look at this particular text this morning, and I've divided it into three uh, sections, uh, kind of focused around the word priority. And so we begin with very one important verb in verse 42. I'm reading from the NIV, and it says, They devoted themselves... Now, we have already encountered this verb uh, devoted previously in chapter 1 and verse 14. And Luke will use it again in our text in chapter 2 and verse 46. Literally, the, the verb means to be strong toward, to attend to constantly. Even uh, implies that sense of, of enduring, enduring something. To continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty, 
to keep on, to persist, to gather in. So this is a very strong verb, a very strong concept. And what we see to follow are priorities, if you will, things that we must be devoted to. Things that even when it gets difficult, we persist in. And of course, it's written in a a community context. And so these are things that we persist in together, collectively, as a community, as the body of Christ, as a church family. And so all that, that we want to discuss this morning It begins with this important verb and devoting ourselves, dedicating ourselves. Well, four nouns now follow this verb. And even though the the English translations really don't bring this out, each one is preceded by the definite article the. In other words, the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayer. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but the word prayer is actually plural. The prayers. So these nouns are not minimal activities, but the major signs of life in the church. These four priorities are designed to help us Close the back door to, again, be a sticky church. So let's talk for just a moment about these four important nouns. First priority, learning. The teaching of the apostles. What would this teaching include? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 28 in that great text that we commonly refer to as the Great Commission... Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. So the apostles' teaching consisted of everything that Jesus had commanded them. And so there was probably theological teaching where they showed from the Old Testament that Jesus was the promised one. It would have included ethical teaching, moral teaching, all of those things that are grounded in the promises of God through Jesus. And so because it was a priority in the first century, teaching becomes a priority in the 21st century. And so that's why we proclaim publicly from the pulpit. It's why we have Bible classes uh, every Sunday morning. It's why we offer Bible classes on Sunday night. It's why we uh, promote Bible teaching in our life groups. It's why we encourage all of us to spend time reading our Bible. It was a priority. And remember, remember the word, the word that we find in our New Testament typically translated as disciple. By definition, a disciple is a learner, a student, a pupil. And so it's, it's emphasized right off the bat here. They devoted themselves to this teaching. Second priority, 
sharing the fellowship. The word that's translated fellowship in, uh, I looked at about 30 different uh, English translations and everyone uses the word fellowship. It's that very uh, common word, koinonia. I mean, we've talked about that word in the past. You've, you've heard that Greek word before. What's interesting to me, this is the only occurrence of koinonia in the book of Acts. And that, that may be somewhat significant because Luke is really emphasizing it here. It comes from the Greek word which simply means uh, common. And so it carries this sense of, of sharing with someone in something, holding something in common, so that the something becomes the common ground by which the two parties are joined together. And, and so what is it collectively that we share in common? Well, it's Jesus. We're Christians, those who belong to Christ. That is our common bond. That is the thing that binds us together. Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And, and so because we have this in common, we share in that. We share each other's lives, which we'll talk about here in, in just a moment. And so any time you see the idea of fellowship in Scripture, it's this idea of holding things in common, being together uh, collectively. And I would argue it creates a, a sense of responsibility to each other that I'm responsible not only for myself, but I'm responsible to you as well. And, and guess what? That means you're responsible uh, to me. And so this, this idea, again, of being together. C call it whatever you want. Church, community, family is, is the word I, I like the best. We hold uh, ourselves together through the bond of Christ. The, number three, the third priority, eating. Don't you like to eat? In, in fact, usually when we use the word fellowship, it means eating. And I'm all for that. The breaking of the bread. To break bread became somewhat of a technical Jewish term, um, emphasizing the beginning of every single meal. It was always a solemn, even sacred occasion. God was always thanked. God was always considered uh, to be present. And because, again, we, we have the article attached uh, to bread, scholarship is almost unanimous in that this is a reference to what we call the Lord's Supper, or guess what? Communion, fellowship, another way of, of sharing. Now, based upon what Luke says, again, about breaking bread uh, in verse 46, it seems, it seems pretty apparent to me that originally the Lord's Supper, um, Christians partook of, a, of it in the context of a common meal. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 20, there's been uh, some process uh, that has uh, occurred, but this importance of worshiping and remembering the Lord and eating together. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Fourth priority, praying. 
praying. We have mentioned, I think, prayer in every single sermon to this point in the book of Acts. And way back in the introductory lesson, we emphasized not only was prayer important in the book of Acts for Luke, it was also important in his gospel. Uh, We we made the point in in that first lesson that in the gospel of Luke, before every key event in the life of Jesus, you find him praying. And now you see the same thing among his disciples. Uh, The fact that he does use the article here, and the fact that, again, the word prayer literally is plural, the prayers. It might refer to set prayers, or it might refer to set times for praying, or maybe both. Devout Jews, based on the temple sacrifices that we read about in Exodus chapter 29, prayed early in the morning and at sunset, as well as the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon, which is the way Luke will begin chapter 3 and verse 1. Peter and John going to the temple to pray. Jesus, after all, left his disciples, a prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And so, again, we we certainly want to emphasize prayer individually, but remember, this this is a communal context, a community context, one in, in which we are encouraged collectively to spend time in prayer together. We'll come back to that one at the conclusion uh, as well. So we have these priorities, things designed to close the back door, to ensure that that everyone sticks, that this initial evangelistic explosion, this initial enthusiasm that that was created by the great responses uh, uh, on Pentecost Day that we talked about last week. To to be sure it wasn't a temporary thing. Again, that that people continued that process of discipleship. Growth and maturity continued among these first Christians. So then, in verses 43 through 47, we have these priorities illustrated. Luke now expands on this summary in verses 43 through 46 and illustrates how these priorities impacted the, other, uh, the early church. 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I came up with ten illustrations of the four priorities that we talked about in uh, verse 42. First of all, reverence. 
Secondly, recognition of God working in them, through them, and among them. Unity, sharing, benevolence, togetherness, joy, generosity, worship, and then finally, verse 47, growth. Let's take a time out and just talk about growth for just a minute. Again, nearly every English uh, version translates uh, this little phrase, enjoying the favor of all the people. It's, It's literally having grace toward all the people. And so it's possible to translate this phrase not not as receiving favor uh, or grace from all the people, but actually showing favor or showing that grace towards all the people. And so you could look at this as these Christians were directing God's grace towards those who were not Christians. And and I think, really, that may be a a better translation considering uh, the context and is just another reason that people were being converted to Jesus. Because of the grace these Christians had experienced uh, because and through their faith in Christ, they were now extending that grace, sharing that grace, promoting that grace to those who weren't Christians. No wonder God added to their number. Because people are attracted by God's grace. You know, grace is not something you always see in our world. Usually you see revenge, right? And, And you see retaliation. And often there is very little forgiveness. And so something very powerful about the grace of God. And when when we experience grace, that challenge to extend that grace uh, as well. So again, we we have this this commitment. uh, Priority is made. Devotion or dedication is made to these four uh, activities, if you will. And we see it illustrated in the life of the early church. Now, again... at least I mentioned this in in the Bible class uh, that I'm a part of on Sunday morning. New Testament chronology is not an exact science. Got a couple of dates in the book of Acts that that we can nail down for sure. Uh, When Herod dies at the end of Acts 12, we know it's 44 B.C. So, excuse me, A.D. So if you back up and you kind of try to put some things together, when we get to chapter 3 and verse 1, Maybe a period of two to three years, two to three years has, has, uh, have occurred uh, from the day of Pentecost. And, and we'll see, if you're reading through Acts, that growth continues. And so all of what we read about at the end of chapter 2 continues through the rest of the book of Acts. I mean, they were committed to closing the back door. So it's no wonder the church just exploded in the first century. Uh, Now, I'm I'm sure they might have lost a few, but but the the story that Luke records for us in Acts, I don't think they lost very many. 
Because discipleship was so important in the growth and development of each individual became an emphasis collectively to the body of Christ. Why? Because they were family. And so I want to suggest seven things. I think there are seven. Seven. Seven things this morning by, by way of application from this text to encourage us, again, to close the back door and to be a sticky church. Number one, maintain biblical instruction as the center of church life. Traditionally, historically, our brotherhood, our movement have been known as a people of the book. And we want to continue that reputation. Don't we? Oh, that's not good enough. <laughs> we, we want to be known as people of the book, right? All right. Yeah. And so we're going to continue to preach every Sunday morning. We're going to continue to have Bible classes every Sunday morning. We'll continue to offer Bible classes on Wednesday night. We're going to continue to encourage any opportunity we have to be together, to study God's Word, to read, read through God's Word individually. We're going to emphasize that. Biblical instruction must be the center of church life. Number two, make relationships at Lamar Avenue a priority. We've, we've said this. Previously, I, I said it's at some point during the summer, either in the Bible class or from the pulpit. But I said it, all right? People visit a church, and they want to visit a friendly church. So, so there is that idea, certainly, of being friendly, especially to our guest. But more than that, maybe more than people wanting to find a friendly church... They're looking for a group where they can find friends. And really, that's two different things. And, and so, collectively, again, together, developing relationships. Now, do, do I need to go through the list again? That, that's why we're going to continue to assemble together every Sunday morning. And it's why we're going to encourage everybody to stay and go to Bible class. Because not only will biblical instruction occur in those classes, but as we share together in a study of God's Word, relationships can also be built. And it's, it's why we're going to encourage life group participation and being here uh, on Wednesday night. You know, one of my favorite times of the week at this church is from 5.30 to about 6.20 on Wednesday night. And our, our simple supper is such a wonderful thing. I believe it, it helps uh, as an act of service, you know, to those who are just getting off work and coming together as a family. But uh, what a wonderful time to bond together. And, and then we move from, the, from sharing in that meal together to a Bible class. So make relationships here at Lamar Avenue a priority. Number three. Share a meal with someone often. Now, now, the temptation on point three here was share a meal with the preacher often. 
And if you want to apply it that way, that's fine. All right? And, and include Jared, too. Where's Jared, right? Yeah. Okay. But spend time, again, in, in, in our trip, in our trip uh, to Israel a couple of years ago, you know, we, we got to experience uh, at the various places we stayed uh, in, in larger public areas witnessing Jewish families sharing meals together. And, and it, it, you, you could see, you could sense that when they came together to share a meal, it, it was a sacred occasion. And, and this, this idea of, of separating the sacred from the secular, that's not a Jewish worldview. And, and so again, taking advantage of all of those times that we can be together, sure you can have fun. Sure, it's a social event, but always welcome God into our presence also in, in, in making these times very sacred together and, and sharing these meals uh, collectively together. Number four, persist in prayer. Again, ha- how many times? I think this is the fourth sermon from Acts, and I know... It's the, at least the third time we've emphasized prayer. And, and we'll continue to emphasize prayer until we get it. I, I think in our bulletin, there's, there's a group getting together tomorrow morning to pray. I applaud that. And, and I still think at, at some point in the future, we, we need to, to structure some assembly time together around prayer. Corporate prayer. You know, every Sunday morning, uh, Scott McKnight, who led my D-Men program at Northern Seminary, every Sunday morning, very early, uh, he tweets out a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. And this morning's r- r- really, r- really made a, uh, an impression upon me because in this prayer, the point is made that God is always more willing to listen to our prayers then we are willing to actually pray. Now, that, that's pretty good. Now, think about that for just a moment. I mean, that re- really impressed me. I'm not praying enough. And I'm the preacher. And, and so, again, being devoted to prayer. I, I can remember as a student at Sunset, uh, Brother Albert Lemons uh, came and, and did a three-day seminar uh, at that time, and, and that goes back a while, you know, to the early 80s, Brother Lemons was kind of known as, as the prayer fasting guru in our uh, brotherhood. And so he, he lectured three days on prayer and fasting. And, and one point he made has always stuck with me. He, he argued that prayer is a direct barometer of your faith. And, and so if you're wondering how much faith do you have, Brother Lemon's suggestion was, well, how often do you pray? Probably, the more you pray, the greater your faith is. And so that's, that's something to think about. Something to continue to emphasize persisting in prayer. Number five, engage with culture. Church cannot be engaged with the mission if it has disengaged from its culture. 
And, and again, the fact that this church continued to grow and continued to reach people should tell us it was engaged in its culture. This church didn't cocoon and uh, look at, at society in general and be so alarmed that they hunkered behind the bunker. That's pretty good. And instead, they, they went out and, and they, they mixed and they mingled and they engaged. Go where people are, accept where they are, but then help them move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Number six, reflect regularly on our vision. Now, I wasn't here when our vision was developed, but I can't help but think as that group from this church was working collectively to develop the vision, I, I can't help but think there wasn't at least some time spent in this text. But because when you look at our vision, you see every single facet embedded within this text. Connecting with God, it's there. Unity of believers is there. Restore all things. They were serving their culture. They were engaged in their culture. And again, regardless of how you want to take that last phrase, they were either being shown favor from the people or they were showing God's favor to the people. I think probably both. And that's what it means to restore all things. So constantly reflect on that. And if you need, if you need a simple, a simple three-word trigger for our vision. Connect with God, worship. Unity of believers, love. Restore all things, serve. Worship, love, serve. That's, that's what we're to be about. And then finally, number seven. Keep church important in your life. Jesus does not add people to his church without saving them, nor does he save people without adding them to his church. I really expected an amen on that, so let me read it again. Jesus does not add people to his church without saving them, nor does he save people without adding them to his church. Salvation and church membership belong together. Together. Now, for those of you who got an outline and are filling in the blanks, I, I don't have any blanks to fill, but this is good. So write it down, and those of you who aren't, at least write it in your mind. All right. This text suggests movement. And I, I think when, when you look, when you look at this text, and when, when you think, and, and again, you, you see that simple church growth strategy embedded within this text as well. They certainly opened their front door and they closed their back. And that's, that's why growth was so phenomenal at the beginning of Christianity. But there's movement there. And, and I think that the final implication from this text, it, it suggests to us today, 
four key moves. So here they are. N number one, we, we need to learn to move beyond Sunday. Let's, let's be honest. Sometimes our, our Christianity is reduced to what we do on Sunday morning. And, and, and maybe, maybe Sunday night and Wednesday night. You don't see that in this text. It's, it's a very holistic approach to being faithful, growing, maturing disciples of Jesus. So, so we need to, the first move, we need to move beyond Sunday. Right. Secondly, we need to move beyond ourself. Ourself. Yes, there is an aspect of our faith and our Christianity which is very individual. You know, we often talk about Jesus being a personal Savior. And, and one thing that means is, I can't be saved for you and you can't be saved for me. Right? But, but often, that, that individual aspect of, of Christianity maybe helps us to be a little selfish at times. Right? Remember, we do not exist for ourselves. Cliff made that point this morning in his communion and giving thoughts. And, and so we need to move beyond the individual. Thirdly, we also need to move beyond ourselves. Now we've emphasized relationships as a priority here. Right? But then there are those times, again, exemplified by this church in Jerusalem. There are also those times we, we remove ourselves from what some call the Christian subculture, and we get out and engage in the culture and society in which we live. I, I mean, after all, Jesus says, we are light. And Jesus says, we are salt. So, so there are, are times... When we, when we leave that constant gathering of ourselves and we go out into society and into culture. So we move beyond Sunday, we move beyond the individual, and we even move beyond ourselves. And then the fourth move, we move beyond the building. We, we, we place so much emphasis on the building. And, and in fact, what, what do we typically say about Sunday? We're going to church. And as the a cappella vocal band reminded us 30 years ago, you can't go to church because the church is you. And I, I don't even know if that's good English or not, but it worked. And, and so certainly we take advantage of the wonderful campus God has blessed us with. But, but again, I, I think so often church and our Christianity is restricted to what happens just at this place. And, and so we move, move beyond that. I, I mean, let, let's be honest. Do, do we really need a building to be the people of God? 
Well, no. Right? And so again, taking our Christianity out, being engaged in culture, being what Jesus says we are, salt and light. Church, as it's meant to be, can we be that church? And so as we conclude this morning, I want us to bow collectively, spend just a few seconds in silent prayer, and, and, and pray for our elders, pray for our deacons, pray for our Bible class teachers, uh, those who teach the youngest among us to those who teach the oldest, our life group leaders and co-leaders. And let's, as we pray silently together, certainly reflect upon our vision. Let's bow. Father, as we reflect upon your goodness and grace this morning. And Father, as we uh, reflect on our salvation through Jesus, may we also reflect upon the example of these earliest Christians. And Father, may we somehow in the 21st century capture the excitement, the enthusiasm, the dedication, the devotion of these first century Christians. Father, help us to connect with you. Help us, Father, to be unified, to love one another. And Father, help us to restore all things. Father, help us to serve those around us. Father, help us to take the kingdom of heaven into this world. Particularly, Father, to those who are lonely, to those who are marginalized, to those who perhaps are without hope, who are full of despair. Father, help us to grow as worshipers, as students, as friends, and his servants. Help us, Father, to be the church as it was meant to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.